Now's the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details. They've got a license to talk. Shocking. Positively shocking. And the words are for your ears only. I think you got the point. Welcome to The Words Are Not Enough. On episode number six of The Words Are Not Enough, the Denis Villeneuve rumors continue. Will he or won't he? This week also brings us Global James Bond Day and the announcement of a new Bond comic. And we discuss what the tone should be for the Bond franchise going forward. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Words Are Not Enough. I'm Brody Cervelli and I'm going to be your only host today because my usual co-host, Griffin Schiller, is, (laughs) wouldn't you know it, at another wedding. So yeah, but don't worry, sit tight. We've got plenty of great stuff to talk about today and I'm going to guide you through it as best I can on my own. Um, We're recording from my room today, so if you hear like footsteps or doors creaking. Those are just some unavoidable sounds to the uh, the environment that we're in. Um, I'm on a bit of a time crunch, as it were, today. So <laughs> with that in mind, let's just jump straight into the news with Tomorrow Never Lies. Or should we just start calling this Denis Never Dies? Because this Denis Villeneuve story will not die. Um, not that I'm complaining. Uh, in an interview with Time Out this week, Villeneuve was asked whether or not he knew he was being considered for Bond 25. Villeneuve answered cryptically, saying, I cannot talk about that. But let's say that for me, to do a Bond movie would be a deep, deep pleasure. Well, there's not a ton we can read into with this, uh, I guess these comments, but for the sake of it, let's... Um, this definitely sort of corroborates a lot of the stuff we've been hearing surrounding Denis Villeneuve so far. Um, because if he wasn't being, you know, if he wasn't talking to Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson and Daniel Craig and Eon and all the other people involved, why couldn't he talk about it? That just seems like a, if you're not talking to them, just say, I'm not talking to them. So this is interesting. It's almost a confirmation through a denial. Um, doesn't mean he's going to get the job, doesn't mean he's going to be able to make his schedule work, because as we've talked about in the past, um, he's got this Dune project that he's been talking about, um, they only just announced that he might be doing a Cleopatra movie with Sony, so he's quite booked up, so this doesn't this doesn't mean that he will be 100% like, you know, available, but, I mean, it pretty much confirms he's talking to people, right? Like, this, they, I can't think of any other way that um, these comments would make sense otherwise. Um, and I've mentioned before, uh, without beating a dead horse too much, I would love to see Denis Villeneuve do a Bond film. Like, just absolutely love it. Um, I haven't I haven't disliked a single one of his films. I've actually loved most of his films. I haven't seen Blade Runner 2049. I'm seeing that tomorrow. But I am hearing just rave reviews. I'm hearing it's it's excellent, and I don't doubt it. 
Um, and that just makes me so excited. I'm so excited that he is even in contention for a Bond film. And I'm so excited that he would be, he, he seems keen to do it. You know what I mean? Like, he's not just saying like, oh, you know, I can't talk about it. He's like, well, if I did, I'd love it. Because again, I, I've mentioned this several times on this show. When someone's passionate about a project, I it just, it ups my anticipation and my, um, I guess, my want, my desire to see them do the project. Uh, because that makes or breaks a, a movie in a lot of cases is, is the the passion and the dedication of the people involved. Not always. There's always, there's other factors because you can have <laughs> people like Tommy Wiseau um, be passionate about what they're doing and still make trash. But then he, he's, a, he's a known quantity. We know he's good. And the fact that he's passionate about it, just, oh my God, like, can you imagine? Just absolutely breathtaking. So, yeah, again, this this isn't a confirmation. This isn't a denial, though. Um, this is just sort of a, a little bit of proof that, from the horse's mouth, as it were, that there are talks going on and that some of the rumors we've heard may, in fact, be somewhat based in reality. And that's good enough for me for now. So, like, you know, come on, come on, Denis, do it. Um, as your uh, spiritual guide, I'm, I'm advising you to do this immediately. Um, but anyway, moving on to the next story. On the subject of directors, while promoting his new film, The Foreigner, Bond alum Martin Campbell, the director of Goldeneye and Casino Royale, just did an interview with Cinema Blend in which he was asked if he would ever consider returning to the Bond franchise. And Campbell had this to say, I don't know. Um, I might be, so never say never. Uh, I didn't after Goldeneye. I don't know if it was sort of arrogance or whatever. I don't know. I just sort of said no to it. It was pretty much offered every other one after that, but I just felt like I would. I was repeating it. Another control room to blow up, another nutcase taking over the world. Also, there was something refreshing about starting a new bond, and particularly with Pierce. It was sort of a Cold War sort of situation then, and we had Judy Dench for the first time, so there was kind of excitement to doing it. Casino Royale was very much the same thing. Much the same reasons, actually. Um, so then he goes on, when like when he was sort of pressed by Cinema Blend, they said, would you come back? Are you saying you'd come back if there's a new actor? Uh, Campbell added, yeah, I think Daniel is terrific. He's certainly for now, do you know what I mean? First of all, he's a terrific actor, but secondly, he brings a sort of toughness and rough edges to Bond that is so relevant right now. And so I guess... Is a very long way of saying, I might come back if I'm approached to do the next actor. <laughs> and so that makes a lot of sense. That's kind of been his forte so far in the series. Um, like with Goldeneye, like with Casino Royale, he is very, very good at recontextualizing Bond um, in a new situation with a new actor and sort of creating a new interpretation. And I respect that he didn't want to come back and just do like sort of a, an everyday run-of-the-mill adventure um he knows that's not what he's interested in and going back to what i said just before if you're not passionate about it don't do it because it just ends up being really painful for everyone so i gotta give him props on that um as to whether i would want him to come back um i don't know uh if he's offered and he's really passionate about something or an actor or just like a, a, a new take on the character then do it but if he, he, I don't even know where he would take the character right now. Like, so like with Goldeneye, he mentioned the, the Cold War coming to an end and that sort of recontextualized Bond's place in pop culture and in 
I guess, just in just in general with spies, like, what do you do? We don't have the Soviets anymore. And Goldeneye was very much about that. And that was, he handled that so well. And then again with, um, with Casino Royale, uh, it was, well, we're in a post 9-11 world now. We have an enemy we don't know. These, 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 you know, sort of private entities, these um, non-state actors are a threat now. Where does Bond fit into this world? And then also on top of that, going back and grabbing some of like Fleming's really early material that had been basically untouched um, by you know a serious adaption anyway, um, sort of bringing that up. It was, it was a new take on the character, and then it was a new way, a new direction to go in. I don't know what a new direction would be at this point, and that's not to say that it needs to be like a cataclysmic world event in order to, um, I guess, justify doing a new Bond. Uh, again, we're getting Mark Campbell to do a new Bond. Um, I guess you could do something with like what is what is what do spies fit into like a, a post Brexit world? Um, that would be an interesting take, I guess. But um, or something you know something to do with the the world politics of now, which is very very <laughs> divisive, and I'm not going to get into that on the show. But that would be an interesting take, and if he had something on that, I could see him doing well with that. But on top of that, we we've, we've had this sort of ongoing speculation that Christopher Nolan was basically the the, the uh, I guess the 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 reason he hasn't done a Bond film yet is he's waiting to do it with a new actor. And so if I had to choose between Christopher Nolan launching the new actor and Martin Campbell launching the new actor, I gotta go with Nolan. I mean, again, Martin Campbell, you're great. You've done two of my favorite Bond films. But some of the other stuff hasn't been great. Um, not a huge fan of Green Lantern. Well, I'm a huge fan of the character. So the fact that you made me hate that movie is shocking. Um, and then with that, uh, he did uh, Edge of Darkness with uh, Mel Gibson. It was a riot. It was a standard thriller, nothing super special. The thing I remember most about that movie was the milk. I think that was part of the plot. People were drinking milk or something. I don't know. Um, he's not very memorable, but that's not his fault. That's like more of a, a story thing. But he, nothing about the way he did the movie was particularly... Uh, groundbreaking. He's a good director, no, don't get me wrong, but, uh, I mean, Christopher Nolan is one of the best directors working today, so, I mean, you know, it's it's not a competition when it comes to the two of them, but if he is offered a um, a story and he's into it, or, or he has a take that he's into, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to see what he has to do. He's, he's built up enough goodwill with me and with this franchise that um, I'd be so down to see it. But, you know, I'm not holding my breath. And I know a lot of people are, and I'm probably, I'm probably going to piss people off because, I mean, you know, you go on Reddit or wherever under, like, Bond forums, and people worship this guy as though he's, he doesn't have a filmography outside of the Bond films. If he didn't have a filmography outside of the Bond films, it'd be a different story. But he does, and it's limited. But his work in the Bond films, again, stands on its own. So, yeah, that's all I really have to say about that. Um... But uh, if, you, if you'd like to comment wherever you're listening to this and telling me how wrong I am and how Martin Campbell is the greatest director ever, uh, please let me know. Like, and I don't mean that... <laughs> that sounds sarcastic. I don't mean that sarcastically. If you do have a contrary opinion, if you, if you, if you agree with me, um, comment wherever you're listening to this and let me know. Um, anyway, that's about, that about does it for the Martin Campbell story. Um, that brings us to our next and final story for this segment, which is to do with the Bond song. And we've had a couple 
pieces of news to do with the bomb, Bond 25's theme music over the last couple of weeks. Um, we had early, early on, we had something about Adele possibly coming back when they were rumoring, uh, you know, Daniel Craig coming back and all this sort of stuff. Um, and they said like, oh, maybe she'll come back and whatever. And then there was this like a little more recently, they said, well, maybe Beyonce will do it. She's been talking to Adele. She's been talking to the, you know, Barbara Broccoli, who seems to have conversations with every friggin' person in the world. Um, very busy lady. I can't imagine why. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so, uh, we've actually got another piece of news, slightly less credible than some of the other, um, stories we've had today, but about on par with every other theme song story we've had so far. It comes from an anonymous source, um, at The Sun, that, uh, who alleges that British rock star and former member of Oasis, uh, Noel Gallagher, is throwing his hat into the ring to perform the next Bond theme. Uh, this isn't the first time Gallagher has expressed interest in doing a Bond song, uh, and it seems as though uh, this has been, you know, sort of a thing he's done every, you know, every movie or so. Um, the source claims that Noel has wanted to do this for a while, and once he started working with David Holmes, who is a, uh, a film score producer, uh, on his, on his he worked with him on his latest album, um, he saw it was the perfect opportunity to, u- uh, to use his experience to finish some ideas he already had. He has put his music forward and will uh, we'll for sure put it forward for consideration. So that's interesting. That's definitely... Um, a little more conclusive than we usually hear. It's not like he's not considering it, or he is very much going to put it forward um, at some point, which would stand to reason if he's done it every other time, um, or at least a couple times before. But this also corroborates with a story we had earlier this year, before we did this podcast, uh, in which fellow English rocker Paul Weller told the BBC, I want to write a Bond theme song. I've got this half a song that me and Noel Gallagher worked on, and I think it would be a really great Bond theme. There's a bit of a minor key going on. That would be an ambition, definitely. Um, so I guess that sort of, it, this helps the validity of the story that we've got, you know, a first-hand source in Paul Weller mentioning, hey, I've been working with Noel Gallagher. We've got a song um, that we've been workshopping. It definitely ties everything. It makes everything a little more um, substantive, I guess. But um, still, I don't really know I don't have a, a huge opinion on Noel Gallagher. I mean, it's not like dislike him. I don't, I don't love him. I just, he is a musician that I know about. Um, but I love the idea of having another, uh, you know, another British talent do a Bond song. I just think there's something really cool about that. Um, having the, like just sort of Bond be this, this big sink for all of, um, you know, British talent around, like in every industry. Um, so that would be really cool. just like in a novel sense, but, um, but yeah, no, so I don't have um, too strong of an opinion on this, but it would if they have a, if they have a song and if he's this passionate about doing it um, and, and submitting a song, then again, like like go for it. We should have a ton of artists uh, you know sort of submitting their work just because that's the best way to find good talent, I guess because I mean we know who are good musicians like in the mainstream, but it doesn't mean that they're necessarily suited to doing a Bond song. So if you have people sort of like quasi-auditioning by sending in the, these like little mixtapes, that'd be kind of cool. Like it'd be kind of interesting. Um, and this by no means uh, sort of confirms that he's in any sort of way in the running to doing it. Um, 
we've seen in the past that many, many artists will submit songs before the movie's coming out just to sort of test the waters, and then those songs never end up going anywhere. Like, um, we've seen this a couple times with, um, I'm trying to think of, there, there are many notable examples, anyway, um, to, say the, the, to say the least. So, even if this goes nowhere, um, it's interesting to see that the cogs are already turning in terms of the theme song, just because we haven't got a story or a title yet. Not that those are necessary um, to writing a Bond theme song, ironically. But lately, it seems like they've been trying to tie these songs directly into the movie. Um, the, the, the only major example, I can, like the ex- exception I can think of, is Quantum of Solace. Uh, Another Way to Die is very tangentially related to Quantum of Solace. But, and it is also, I, I think people would agree, is one of the weaker songs from uh craig's tenure so yeah so that's just pretty much all i have to say on that um and with that we're gonna end tomorrow never lies um good show guys it was a pretty interesting um set of stories and we're gonna jump straight into q branch now um with some good news for the fans of dynamite comics ongoing james bond series uh as it was announced yesterday that a new six issued title is set to be released in January of 2018. The latest run, entitled James Bond The Body, will be helmed by Els Knott of Zero and Secret Avengers fame and will feature an original storyline that will unite the full series. A press release from Dynamite Entertainment describes the series as the following. As James Bond undergoes a post-mission medical examination, he relays the stories of his previous missions to the examiner. Each cut, bruise, and broken bone is connected to a specific event of the mission. A connection is made between two people with very different purposes, one to save lives, the other to take them. Uh, in the same press release, writer Alex um, Alex knows, Knotts, I'm very, very bad with these names, he's a uh, Czech, so this is, um, you have to forgive me on this one. Um, he commented on his involvement in this press release, saying, I'm honored to be working on the original James Bond a complicated character that reflects my interests in war, violence, and power. I took the project on because I was encouraged to explore these interests and take Bond to a place and situations he rarely, if ever, experienced in fiction, and see what truly makes him tick. Wow, I gotta say, guys, this is... This may be my favorite story of the day, almost, um, because this is just so... I don't know, there's just something really, really cool about this this synopsis and this um, this guy's take on Bond. I think what it is, is it's very... like Everyone always just like, like, likes to say, oh, it's Fleming-esque, or it's reminiscent of like the novels. But this really sounds like, without being derivative, it sounds like the novels. Like, the, the idea of doing a story that is like sort of like focused on... The, the damage, the brutality that Bond has done to his body, and having each sort of wound represent a story, just sounds like it's been ripped out of a, like, you know, Fleming's journal of unused Bond novel ideas. Like, just such a really cool concept. And, like, like doing a couple of vignettes, it almost sounds like um, the short story collections that he wrote, um, but with, like, a, you know, a unifying story that threads them all together. Um, which is so cool. Uh, and then on top of that, um, what um, Not has to say about uh, his take on Bond is very, very Fleming. Like, this sort of the complicated, the dark, 
um, broodingness. We, we've gotten a bit more, you know, in line with Fleming's Bond in the novel, uh, in the movies, uh, lately with Craig, and then also earlier with um, Timothy Dalton. But there are certain things that is ju- it's just really hard to make palatable from like like from Fleming's work in a in a novel, uh, sorry, in a movie um, that is intended to be seen by a, as wide an audience as possible. Um, a lot of Bond's character is a reflection of Ian Fleming, and Ian Fleming was a very complicated individual, very much of his time, um, but yeah, just very complicated. So, likewise, Bond is also very complicated, and there are some problematic elements to his character that I can see why they haven't adapted, Um, but doing a comic book version of that sounds great, and really diving into that uh, into like how Bond's job affects him and affects his, um, I guess his well, not only his body but like his psyche, just sounds like so much fun, um, and just really interesting. So, if this ends up being what I'm hoping it's gonna be, and if it ends up being as good as any of the other Dynamite comic, um, I guess stories they've done, then. You know, I, this may be my favorite one so far. I, it almost feels like we're getting a new novel, which is really, really cool. Um, but yeah, no, so I'm absolutely on board with this. And I'm on board with th- all of the comics. So if you haven't read any of the other Dynamite comics, just what, what are you doing? Go go, go find some. Go find a comic book store. I know they're hard to find, but go find one and pick up a copy. Because, I mean, it's especially if you're a fan of the books. Um, and if you haven't read the books, go... What the fuck are you doing? Go read the books. But, um, yeah, no, this is just, it's just such a cool, interesting, uh, take to take Fleming's version of Bond, which doesn't get a ton of, like, I guess, it, it definitely not as influential or as famous as the cinematic Bond. But, um, I would almost say it's my preferred Bond. I, I think Fleming's Bond is my favorite Bond just because, and I think that's why Timothy Dalton is my favorite Bond actor. Well, there you go. There's, Light, let's light the um, the torches now. Um, no, but I mean, I'll I'll gladly die on that hill because Timothy Dalton's great, and he sort of came the closest to sort of bringing Fleming's Bond alive. And as even though he was limited by the stories he was in, and also the uh, the, the time that his stories were told, um, the eighties, no one was really willing to really dive into Bond's sexism and racism and alcoholism in quite the same way that we may be able to today um or at least Fleming was able to in the novels but yeah so there's my recommendations for the episode um go check those out if you haven't uh and moving on to our next story we've actually got a birthday um because I guess we do those now but on October 4th Christoph Waltz our own Franz Oberhauser um Blofeld, if you haven't seen Spectre, sorry, just spoiled it, but um, he turns 61, which is pretty cool. Um, I think the only reason I really put this in here is because uh, I just wanted to sort of touch on Christoph Waltz's Blofeld. Um, it's been a little controversial for some people. Um, some people didn't like the element, like the, the, the I guess the, 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 the shared history that they had, um, Bond and Blofeld had in, in this new version um, and some people thought he didn't have enough time, enough of a scream presence. Um, and I'm just here to tell you you're wrong. Uh, you're objectively wrong. <laughs> no, um, 
I, I see where some of these criticisms come from. Um, I am not the biggest fan of the connection that they made between Bond and... Everyone says they're brothers. They're not fucking brothers. Watch the movie. Um, Blofeld teasingly calls him his brother. They spent two two winters together. It's just hardly... Like in, they, well, Christoph Waltz is 61, so it's assumed Blofeld is the same age. They spent a very, very short amount of time together in terms of his life. And, and then on top of that, everyone says like, oh... Blofeld's evil because he has daddy issues, but no, that's silly. Um, Blofeld was just deranged, and they demonstrated that by saying he killed his father over very, very petty, petty things. Um, anyway, I'm not, I'm not here to defend um, Spectre or... Well, I am kind of here to defend Crystal Falls. But um, all I'll say is I really hope he comes back for the next one. Um, they, they definitely set that up with uh, him watching Bond and Madeline walk off in the distance, and if you know, Madeline's supposed to be like a Tracy kind of character, so we know what happens to her. But, um, yeah, so it would be really, really cool just to see them bring Kristoff back, because I really liked his portrayal of uh, Blofeld. He wasn't, in, he wasn't in the movie a ton, um, which is normal for a Bond villain, um, especially in the earlier ones, like Dr. No. They didn't show up a ton until the end. Um, but the scenes he had, he was suitably creepy. He had this kind of very... Um, mightier than thou sort of Napoleon complex almost he was this little short man who went around just sort of blase didn't really care about anything um the torture scene was great I thought that was one of the standout the standout moment that like sort of solidified Christoph Waltz's Blofeld to me um and so yeah now he's got the scar and everything let's let's do it let's bring him back so that's I just wanted to touch on that and uh happy birthday Christoph um you're appreciated I appreciate you um, now moving on to some slightly, uh, sadder news, uh, we have a death, um, not directly related to Bond, but, uh, Hugh Hefner, uh, passed away, and he, Playboy famously published several, of uh, Fleming's short stories, and in Fleming definitely took a lot of influence from that Playboy lifestyle, um, and put it into Bond, and we see that not just in the books, but in the movies as well, that sort of that lifestyle. They, they both sort of, it was a very symbiotic sort of uh, relationship, so it's hard to, like, you know, understate the influence that Hugh Hefner's Playboy empire um, has had on the franchise. Hugh Hefner's an, a, a controversial figure um, in that they, he probably didn't treat women the best. Uh, not, not probably, he didn't. Um, and there's no justifying that. But I think it is worth sort of remembering that Ian Fleming wasn't the best person either, and we still appreciate his work. And so I think we can still take the time to appreciate the influence that, uh, you know, Playboy and Hugh Hefner had on our favorite spy, even if the man himself was flawed and not everything about him is commendable. So I just wanted to touch on that really quick. Um, and also just, you know, be respectful of the dead. Um, he lived a very interesting life a very um influential life and this is the part of the show where we're just going to sort of uh remember that so yeah not too much to say on that but um treading lightly on the subject so to speak but uh that brings us to our our last segment of uh our last bit of tidbit of q branch which is today uh which on the day of recording is October 5, is Global James Bond Day. 
and that coincides with the 55th anniversary of Dr. No, which premiered on October 5th, 1962. And isn't that cool? 55 years old. Holy shit, that's so old. Well, I shouldn't say so old. That's the same age my parents are, so I wouldn't want to offend them. But that is a long time for a franchise. Um, the fact that we have news on this almost every week, and it's fi- from a 55-year-old franchise, is incredible. Like, I'm trying to th- imagine imagine if we're still getting MCU news <laughs> 55 years from now, which we may be. Who knows? Let's see if it, if it, if it keeps printing money uh, for, for Disney, then we probably will. But... Yeah, it's just, it's just amazing the longevity of this franchise. Um, this is just a film franchise. The literary bond is even older. Um, but yeah, no, so it's, it's just kind of cool. And then they made... Uh, they, it's cool that they made this global James Bond day to commemorate Dr. No's uh, premiere. Um, and Dr. No's an interesting film. Um, it's probably the... It's probably the Sean Connery movie I watched the least. Which isn't to say it's my least favorite. Um, definitely not. It's just, it is kind of, because it is the first, it sort of is, it is pre a lot of the tropes that I come to expect from a Bond film. Um, but it, it, not, the tropes it does have, it's, it's kind of still finding its footing. And so that there are elements of, you know, of the James Bond that we know today in there, but it's not quite there yet. Uh, I think over the, from Rush With Love and Goldfinger, they you know, sort of, they finish adding the elements until Thunderball is like the first, here's the whole package kind of uh, Bond film. And that's kind of the beauty of those early Connery films. It's kind of just watching everything sort of come together and create an icon. Um, but yeah, no, Dr. No is a fantastic film. Uh, going back to Christoph Waltz, we don't see Dr. No until like, we see him like his, his you know, his hands and he talks a little bit to like uh, Professor Dent and a few other characters. He doesn't really appear on screen until the third act when he has dinner with um, with Bond and um, Honey Rider. So, yeah, I mean, he's he's and he's still a great villain. He still had a great presence. So, um, <clears throat> but uh, no, anyway, I'm not. I'm, I'm gonna stop picking fights on that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great film. They play the James Bond theme that are uh, that Monty Norman like version of the James Bond theme a little too much. A um, little too proud of how great that song is, and it is great. Um, but I think I'm pretty sure they play it when Bond is putting his hair over the um, over the, the the door to see to make sure that no one opens it, um, which is really cool. I, I wish we could see more like sort of spycraft like that um, in the in the newer Bond films because stuff like that was great um, and a staple of of the Fleming books. I've been talking about Fleming a lot this episode, but um, yeah, no, it's Doctor No, great film. Um, Definitely a throwback. Probably has one of my favorite Connery moments. Actually, the fa- my favorite moment, Doctor No, is with Professor Dent when um, Dent breaks into to kill Bond, and Bond's waiting for him with the the silenced gun, and he um he, he I remember the exact lines like that. Oh, the, oh, that's a Smith and Wesson, and you've had just six. And then he shoots uh, Professor Dent, and then he like just takes the silencer off and the cigarette smoke coming off of his ashtray and it's just the coolest moment um i think everyone thinks of like the quintessential like bond introduction from the very beginning of the film like the bond james bond as being like the most iconic thing from that movie but that is the coolest thing bond killing president is the coolest thing in the whole the whole damn thing and um i think it's a little underappreciated just great great moment um 
Sean Connery was just so... In those first four films, he was just so good as Bond, and he really just came out the gate running with this one. Um, so yeah, no, that's... Commemorating Dr. No, if you haven't um, watched it in a while, maybe today's a good day to go put it back in. Uh, or any of them, really. It's Global James Bond Day, so who am I to say? Go watch any of them. Um, I'm pretty sure they started this in 2012 um, for the 50th anniversary, so maybe go watch Skyfall. Who knows? Um, just do something Bond-related today. Maybe go play Nightfire or something. Uh, you know, anything. Just to let your inner, inner Bond geek out. Uh, and that'll do it for Q Branch today. Um, that brings us to our last segment. Oh, wow, it's been... I feel like this episode's flown by. Um, but this last sort of um, segment, Shaken But Heard, is our discussion segment. Uh, yeah, we're not doing um, uh, Brother from Langley this week. There's just, I think we spent ourselves a little bit with all the Kingsman stuff, so we're just going to jump straight into Shaken But Heard. Um, just as a little, I don't know why I'm telling you this. This seems like the, 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 I could have just gone on and <laughs> you never would have noticed, but I like to be honest. I like to be honest with our audience. Uh, I trust you. Um, but yeah, so we're going to jump straight into Shaken But Heard, and we've got a bit of a discussion. It's going to be hard to discuss this without someone else here to discuss it with, but um, I'm going to sort of talk about the tone of uh, where I think Bond should go. Um, and this was kind of inspired by an article that um, Griffin sent me earlier this week, which were uh, from Den of Geek, which was James Bond, It's Time to Return to Absurdity with Love. Um, and it was a pretty well-written article. Um, I, I took some issue with it. I, I'm, I'm trying to like pad this so I don't sound like I'm being a dick. Because um, I don't want to be a dick. I'm sure uh, the author is um, Matthew Bird. I'm sure he's a great guy. Um... I don't think his understanding of Bond quite makes sense. I think it was more of a stretch. The article was more of a stretch to sort of like write a think piece, like a hot take. Um, since Kingsman came out, it's like, we should make Bond absurd again, guys. Um, and that kind of got my goat a little bit. So I just wanted to talk about that for a little bit. So essentially, I mean, read the article for yourself. You may not agree with me. Um, the impression I got reading the article was this idea that Bond is inherently a silly idea, and it is at its best when treated as such. Um, but I don't think that's true at all. Um, I think if you've if, actually this this ties in very well um, with everything I've sort of talked about with Fleming this episode. But Bond is inherently a very dark idea, a very, very serious idea. Like, there is some silly stuff in it. It is still fantasy espionage. Um, like, even in the novels, we had, like, Dr. No with his claw hands and his bald head and his, you know, big pile of dung. And, like, there were absurd things in all of those early uh, books. But it was within reason. It was... It was within the realm of reality. Like, man, people with hook hands isn't completely an absurd concept. He didn't have, like, a robot arm or anything. He just had hooks. Um, little, little pincers. But, um, 
So, you know what I mean? Like, things were grounded in a sense that it was still fantasy, it was still make-believe, but it was grounded in a very serious um, world. And I think the main sort of anchor of all of this is Bond Bond, Bond himself. Bond is a serious character. We sort of forget this with, like, the Roger Moore, um, the camp, I guess. And then there's a bit of that in the Pierce Brosnan films as well even at the end of Sean Connery's run. Um, and Sean Connery had the one-liners and, like, the, you know, he was very, very uh, cavalier and sort of nonchalant. And so we sort of think, oh, well, I guess Bond's just a funny guy and he's a funny character. He sort of realizes the absurdity of his world. Um, and to an extent, the, the, the film Bond, the, the cinematic Bond, has kind of been like that um, throughout his tenure until Timothy Dalton. Um even though there was a bit of a wink-wink in some moments, um, mainly in the, living, uh, in the Living Daylights, then they sort of dropped that when they realized that was not his strength. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, Bond in the, in the books is so self-serious. It's like, it's absurd. Um, he's, like I mentioned, he's an alcoholic. He drinks because he hates his work, but he's very good at his work, and he hates that. And... Like is, is he he because he hates what he does, but he hates that he's like he hates what something that he's good at. He almost hates himself, and it's just this very toxic inner monologue that sort of drives the entire story. Um, and then you know he he loses all faith in you know the opposite sex when he's betrayed by the woman he loves, in, like in Casino Royale, and like all of these terrible things keep happening to him and it makes him cynical and Bond is a cynical character. And so when you view his fantasy stories like Moonraker, where he's going up against, you know, a billionaire with a rocket, the book, this is by the way, the book, um, you know, a millionaire with plastic surgery all over his face and he's built a giant rocket and he's going to bomb London. It's a silly idea, but it's told from the, like through the lens of a very cynical um, unhappy, self-serious character, and and that's not to say that Bond is joyless, but you know what I mean. He's 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 a very damaged person, and so when you're viewing this fantasy story through that lens, it almost adds a layer of seriousness to the story. Um, so, going back to this article, I don't think the premise of Bond is quite the same as something like. Kingsman, where Kingsman was in the comic book and in the movie, um, was written to be a pastiche, was written to to basically turn, uh, subvert your expectations of what a spy story should do. So like, oh, it's got profanity in it. And oh, look at all this, like, um, like we're going to ramp up all the sex and violence and all that sort of stuff. Like it's a, it's a parody playing off of your expectations of something like Bond. Um, so making Bond making Bond emulate the thing that is emulating it, it's like, you know, too many degrees removed from the original idea. Um, even the Roger Moore films were silly, but they never got, they never quite went to the level that, um, that Kingsman do, um, did and has. And that's okay. Like, I mean, that makes Kingsman its own thing. And I've, I mean, I'm guilty of sort of aligning Kingsman and things like that with Bond and saying, like, oh, it's like a Roger Moore film. And it is, to an extent, but it's still... You couldn't just slap Roger Moore into those films and, like, take out some of the violence and the, some of the um, the vulgar stuff and then suddenly say, oh, look, it's 
it's a Roger Moore movie. It's not like it. it they're, they're just two different um, concept wise, but. And I think it's almost where I think this article goes wrong. I think this article tries to just sort of, it, it almost has like an elementary understanding of what Bond is and just sort of says, well, if it worked before, we should go back to that because serious things suck because the Marvel movies told me that. Um, and I just don't think, you can have fun without it being silly. And then on top of that, like like we're romanticizing the Roger Moore films as though people like you know as though people would even like that today they wouldn't i'm just telling you right now because we did a roger moore film in 2000 <clears throat> 2002 called die another day and people did not like it um i don't like it that much i mean i, I like it in like a i'm a bond fan and this is like a goofy fun um switch my brain off kind of way but as a as a someone who's this inve- invested in the character it's a really bad bond movie um and so, do we really want to go back to that? Like, this happens every time. We get, like, we'll, we'll go to, like, the nth degree of, 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 of silliness, and then we reboot to be serious again. And then, as time, as we get further and further away from the absolute absurdity um, that it became, we start to go, like, well, it wasn't that bad. Maybe we should try a little more fun. And, um, and fun, in, like, fun in terms of, like, making camp equal fun um because i think plenty of serious films can be fun i think casino royale is like an incredibly fun film it's got great action in it it's got really great witty dialogue in it between bond and vesper and bond and m and like there's there's a lot of fun to be had and you can have some laughs in there but it's a serious film it takes its plot seriously the villain takes himself seriously um everything feels real in, a, in in terms of cinematic real realism, um, whereas something like Dying of the Day is constantly winking at you, like whoa, ho, Bond. Like they try to be serious with like the the North Korea stuff, but it's like kind of like oh, Bond then like zaps the people with the defibrillator and then like sort of winks at the chick and walks out of the room and then walks into the hotel in his sopping wet PJs, you know, with the beard, the big beard and his hairy chest out like it's silly and it knows it's silly and it's sort of like haha isn't this funny isn't this fun and that's not what bond is and that's not even roger moore wasn't that stupid like you know what i mean and so why would we go back to that why would we willingly go back to that that's just a betrayal of what the character is meant to be um i think people have even people have said that like oh specter is a return to the silliness of i saw i saw a review where someone called Spectre a Roger Moore film, which is baffling. I think maybe Spectre has similarities to films like Thunderball or even You Only Live Twice in terms of, like, it's a little more um, cliched, a little more, like, sort of stereotypical. Um, But it has a lot of elements, like, that we come to expect from a Bond film, like a villain lair and a henchman and you know the bond girl they falls in like like they all fall in love over the course of the film very quickly and all this sort of stuff like and then they had a couple gags like like daniel craig falling under the sofa and stuff like that but you know it's not like that was never i don't know it it, it, there's this certain there's a certain line i think and i don't think Daniel Craig has crossed that line yet, and I don't see why anyone would want him to, or want the next actor to, or anything like that. Um, 
by all means, try a new tone. Do something different. If you don't want to be as serious as Daniel Craig, go ahead. Uh, if you want to go more serious than Daniel Craig, go ahead. But I think aiming for mediocrity <laughs> is a really dangerous thing. And like, like sort of saying we're going to emulate some of the more mediocre Bond films is a really, really silly, naive um, notion. And I don't think anyone would be talking about it if it weren't for Kingsman sort of being perceived in the public consciousness as it's like James Bond used to be, um, which to an extent it is, but just not, it's not a carbon copy and you can't just transplant that over to Bond again. Um, I mean, we've got, (laughs) we're talking about like Denis Villeneuve directing the next Bond film. Like, are we really going to go from that caliber of talent wanting to be involved with the Bond film to saying like, let's just find some, some, you know, gun for hire director and make a comedy. Woohoo! Like, it, no, 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 it just, it just seems really, really cynical. It seems cynical. Like, I mean, because Kingsman was successful, let's just do it. So, yeah, I mean, and again, it's not shitting. I don't want to shit on this guy's article. Um, I'm sure he does have a adequate understanding of James Bond, and I'm sure he has seen a couple of them. I just don't think when he wrote this article, he demonstrated that very well. Because there's a difference between like emulating a classic style and then just, you know, misremembering what the character used to be and what the character still is and misremembering what those old films were. Um, and I think that would be really naive especially considering we finally made Fleming's Bond palatable to a wide audience. Why would you want to go back from that? I say that as a, as a purist, a Fleming purist. But um, yeah, but to sound off in the comments, again, wherever you're listening to this, because uh, I understand this is very subjective and I could be wrong. Not, not, not wrong. I could be, there could be other perspectives on this that um, <clears throat> it just comes down to preference. Like some people... Some people's favorite Bond is Roger Moore, and I can't fault them for that. I love Roger Moore. I love his films. Um, I just think they're very much of their time, <laughs> and I don't think it would work if we just tried to recapture what they were. They 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 existed, and I appreciate them for existing. But if I was living through that era, I would be a little a little dissatisfied with the um, the content Bond was churning out. So I don't see why, personally, why anyone would want to go back to that. But some people do, and that's okay. That's totally fair. The, 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 the best thing about Bond is that there's pretty much a Bond film for every genre. So, you know, uh, who am I to say what Bond really is? But to me, that's what Bond is. And, that's, and the, that's, I don't know, I, I, I just, I, it bothers me that the article was so on the nose about like, oh, Bond is being something, it's trying to be Jason Bourne. Jason Bourne is trying to be Bond. And Jason Bourne just happened to popularize a dark tone before Bond was able to. Like, it, it just, you know, grinds my gears a little bit. But anyway, yeah, let me know if I'm right or wrong. I'm rambling. Um, so what happens when I don't have Griffin here to guide my conversation. It, it, it just becomes a raving rant. So, Griffin, don't go to any more weddings is the... Uh, is the moral of this of this episode but anyway yeah let me know what you think um and that will do it for shaken but heard and for another 
episode, a uh, episode six or episode two of Brody's Fireside Chants, um, which is what we're going to start calling these, um, these solo episodes. Uh, probably not, but <laughs> um, that's what I'm going to call it in my head. But uh, yeah, so if you've liked anything that we've that I've said today. Uh, you know, subscribe to us. Like we have a YouTube channel, uh, men, v- men versus movies. Um, so go, go follow us there. Cause we talk about some stuff other than bond, uh, other movie stuff, but we also put the podcast up up there so you can give it a listen. Um, if you're listening on iTunes, be sure to subscribe to follow us or whatever. The, I don't know how iTunes works. I have an Android. Sorry. But, um, but if you have iTunes, please go follow us. Give us a little five star or whatever rating you think we deserve because it helps make us more visible um helps other fine bond fans such as yourself find us and give us a listen so uh that would mean a lot if you did that also just comment i love having a conversation with um with the community i think that's a lot of fun um and speaking of engagement if you like anything i have to say um follow me on twitter and like message me or whatever like tweet at me whatever um don't slide into my DMs. That 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 would be weird. But um, definitely tweet at me, uh, Brody Cervelli. Uh, the link is in the comments because in the description. Sorry, because it's a complicated name and I wouldn't want to spell it every week. But um, yeah, give me a follow. Let me know what you think. I tweet a lot more than I used to. So yeah, by all means, do that. And um, yeah, if you like this episode, be sure to check in with us next week. We do this pretty much every week. I've been Brody Cervelli. Uh, Have a great day. Seven billion humans on Earth can't all like the same drink. That's why Circle K has Polar Pop and Froster. Pick your flavors and make that one in seven billion mix just right for you. Polar Pop and Froster, just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations. Charlie loves cherry, so he fills his froster with wild cherry, cherry cola, and tops it off with cherry limeade. It's the cherry on Charlie's day. Mix the Polar Pop or Froster that works for you. Just 79 cents each at Circle K. Limited time only at participating locations.